When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, welcome to the Inspire to Fire podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host and today we've got Craig, also known as the Phi Guy, joining the show. He's going to be telling us his Phi journey and how he used house hacking in particular to reach financial independence in only five years. So if you guys haven't heard of house hacking, you're new to that concept, I encourage you, this is going to be a great episode, listen to the end. House hacking is actually a way to eliminate your housing expense and have that build towards your financial independence uh, number or destination. So that's exactly how Craig was able to reach financial independence in five years, which is an amazing feat. It's a way to expedite your FI journey and really get there the fastest. Now, it's not for everyone, but even if you don't come away with this episode taking action, at least knowing this concept for the future could allow you to take action and basically your budget where you have rent or mortgage let's say a thousand dollars a thousand five hundred dollars every month you can wipe that clean and have your tenant pay that expense and your property basically starts paying off itself well your tenant is paying off your property and imagine all that extra money that you have now that you can invest in other properties to do the same exact thing or invest it in the stock market or live however you want to live so that's such a powerful concept and that's why I wanted to bring Craig on the show to share his story. So I hope you guys get a lot out of this episode. If you're new to the podcast, I encourage you please to subscribe, share this with a friend. You can also follow me on Instagram at Inspired Fire. I share a lot of posts there as well. So again, thank you so much for joining. I've got previous episodes as well that you can listen to. So without further ado, here is Craig, the Fi Guy. Hey Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, definitely excited to be here. No, it's, uh, I'm excited as well. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I really wanted to get you on because you have uh, reached financial independence in a different way than I would say most of my guests that have come on the show uh, so far. So um, you've done it through something called house hacking, which I'm excited for you to share with the audience what that is. So if you can just explain what house hacking is and um, how you were able to turn that into financial independence. Sure. Yeah. So house hacking is the idea. It's really a, a a rookie real estate investor move, right? It's the idea that you buy a property for zero to 5% down. The only way you get 0% down is if you're in the military or, or you live out in like a rural area. 
But so let's just say three to 5% down, you purchase a property. That means you have to live there for one year. So you live there for one year, you rent out the other rooms or other units. It's got to be a one to four unit property. Then the rent from those other units or rooms covers your mortgage payment and you're able to live for free. And I suspect that most of your listeners, their largest expense is their you know rent or mortgage expense. So by eliminating that, you're able to save a lot more money and just accelerate your your journey towards financial independence. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I've definitely heard of the term and I wish I would have actually applied it to my strategy, but I kind of uh, got into it a little bit too late. And it's, it's hard once you develop a certain lifestyle. So how did you apply it and, and when did you start? And tell us a little bit about your story um, because you became very financial. I mean, financially independent at a very early age. That's right. Yeah. So I guess I was 24 when I purchased my first property. Uh, it was 2017 and it was a duplex up down duplex. And I was coming from a place where I just absolutely hated my job prior to that. to the one I was in at the time. And so I wanted to hit financial independence as soon as possible. I was sick of being tied down to having to go to work. And so house hacking and real estate investing just seemed like the, the easiest way to get there, right? Your, your passive income from your rental properties exceeds your expenses and you live for free. At that time, you know, like many, much of your audience, I suspect is going to be, you know, very low spenders. I was a very low spender, you know, $2,000, $3,000 a month was more than I needed. And so that's all I got. Right. And so and then, you know, two years later, I was able to get about two to $3,000 in passive income and I was financially free. Right. But I wasn't, financially well off. Like I couldn't, I didn't want to live the rest of my life that way. Uh, and so that first deal was a duplex. Uh, I lived in the bottom, rented out the top. Now my mortgage payment on that property was about 2,200 and I rented the top out for 1750. So some quick math, you obviously can see that I was not living for free. However, I was determined to live for free. So what I did was I put up a curtain and a room divider in my living room, slept on a futon behind that. And I Airbnb'd out my bedroom. <laughs> For $1,100 a month was what it was on average. And so now I'm making about $2,800, $2,900 a month and only spending $2,200 a month on my mortgage. So there you have it. I was living for free and that was the main goal. Uh, people often ask me, oh, so now I have to like live behind a curtain in, in my living room on a futon in order to get there. Like, no, absolutely not. You don't have to do that. I just went to the absolute extreme because heck, I was a 24-year-old dude. I was single. Like that was the time to take advantage of that situation you know, that allowed me to save up, right. For the next house hack a year later, where I bought a five bedroom, two bathroom house, had my own bedroom, door, window, walls, all, all the, all the, all the things you need. And that is really what started my real estate investing journey. Cool. I mean, that's, yeah, that's amazing. So you basically, not only did you live for free, but you were actually getting paid to live in that uh, instance where it's like $600 or $700 that you used on your next one. So I'm assuming you waited a year, like you mentioned, and then went ahead and moved into that second place. Uh, and were you able to continue that same 2,800 uh, estimated cash flow, or uh, yeah, I would say cash flow from the first uh, property? I was making a little bit more actually because you know at that time I was occupying you know a 60 mm -hmm. square foot space in the living room. Mm -hmm. But when I moved out, I obviously took down my contraption and allowed people to have the whole place. And that just generated some more income. So yeah, I was probably making, I was making over a little over three grand. I was probably making about a thousand to $2,000 over the mortgage. 
Nice. I mean, this is like such a powerful concept and I don't know why we don't get introduced this like at the 21 years old, because like you mentioned at 24, you've got different, a different lifestyle than for example, somebody in their thirties uh, with a family and two kids. So you, you were allowed, you, you know, you were able to do this, um, which allowed you to just cascade this into a second place, um, which is just amazing. You mentioned the second property had five bedrooms. Is that, was that an issue? Because I think you mentioned that there was up to four bedrooms um, with house hacking. Was there any thing that you needed to do special to have that extra room? Uh, there was, nope, there was, so the house came with five bedrooms. I guess there technically was four bedrooms. One was an extra room off of the garage, which was attached to the house. So it was actually part of the house, but the electric wasn't hooked up. So if I turned the light on in the basement, all the lights in the basement turn on versus like in the individual rooms. Mm -hmm. So I just had to make a, a minor switch there, which was not very expensive. And then I had, I had, and then add a closet and then I had a bedroom there. So I made it into a five bedroom, two bath. And yeah, there weren't really too many issues. I mean, yeah, there, there, there was a little bit of tenant drama. Um, but I would say for the most part, you know, you only like the bad times are much easier to remember than the good times. I'd say for the most of the time it was good. There's maybe a month there where things got a little bit, a little bit tense. Well, and, and I want to get into that because I think if somebody is interested in house hacking, somebody in the audience, I mean, they're probably seeing the benefit of just what you've done and how you got to financial independence so quickly and then eliminating their housing cost um, is a huge benefit. So, but what they're probably getting hung up on is living in the same space as somebody. So can you talk to me about how you made that easier for yourself or is there any tips that you would give to anybody who wants to house hack, you know, but there could be this hang up of, Hey, I'm not sure if I want to actually have somebody this uh, close to me, I guess, or share living quarters. Yeah. So if you don't want to share living quarters with someone, then the ideal situation is you get a house, maybe it is a five bedroom, two bed bathroom house, but there's an upstairs and downstairs. And, and we, you see a lot of that here in Denver. And so you, you know, you have the upstairs to yourself and you rent out the downstairs, or if you want some more money, right. You live in the downstairs and rent out the upstairs. And so that's, those are probably some of the best ways to do it. If you want your own private space. Also, if you want to get a duplex, a triplex or a quad, Right. You can have an entire unit to yourself and you can rent out the other three units or two units or whatever, however many units you have. So that is kind of how you could do it if you don't want roommates. At that time for me, I've always had roommates. And at that time I was 25, you know, graduated college at 22 or 23 or at 22 and had roommates, right? I had roommates all throughout college. When I, when I graduated, I had roommates all throughout that time. So I never had not had roommates. So I was, you know, I never had that, that lifestyle creep of, of living by myself. And I just, I knew it was a thing. So I just kept living with roommates for as long as I, as long as I could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it just makes a lot of sense when you're um, younger and, and even as a 30 year old, for example, or, or 40 year old, if you have a family, um, I think that detached separate entrance strategy makes a lot of sense um, just to keep that lifestyle for yourself. If that's just something that you're so used to, but you might not be living for free or getting paid, but you definitely make a significant dent on that housing cost. You, you have somebody else paying some of the mortgage for you. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you mentioned Denver as the area where it kind of worked out for you. Uh, do you think that house hacking is possible in high cost areas like New York or California? I know there's, that's the second hang up. A lot of people in the audience are going to say, but I live in New York. It's impossible. I can't do this. What would you tell them? 
so there's this guy on Instagram, uh, and he, he kind of has become a friend of mine. Uh, Living rent free is his Instagram tag, and he lives in LA and he house hacks in LA. There's plenty of people that are house hacking in LA. Uh, New York, I actually don't know of all the many people house hacking in New York. Um, so yeah, I mean, it will say it's hard. It's hard. Like if you're in Manhattan, like house hacking is going to be very difficult, right? And that's where you think, okay, you have to make that sacrifice of moving outside of Manhattan to maybe move to the suburbs of New Jersey, or you move to, I don't know, what is it called? Westchester or something like that outside, <laughs> outside of New York, where yep, maybe yep. you can actually afford a place. People obviously still want to live there, still a highly populated area. And, and you kind of do it that way. Cool. Cool. Um, so that's a great advice. And I, I agree with you. I think that you just got to get a little bit creative in these, um, in these circumstances, but you know, the benefit again, just for me, and, and I believe you would say the same thing, just outweigh the minor inconveniences or creativity that you have to come up with. Um, I do also want to mention just how powerful owner occupancy financing is. Um, You know, a lot of people in real estate, especially they get first analysis by paralysis by analysis or analysis paralysis. And uh, it works both ways, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And uh, the second one would be that they have trouble getting that initial down payment for the first home or first uh, rental property. So talk to me about the, benefits of owner occupancy financing and how that lowers the barrier for people. Yeah. So basically Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are the two largest mortgage providers in the U S even when you go through different mortgage broker, mostly they get sold to Fannie or Freddie. Um, They um, think it is less risky, which I would agree with if that, if you're living in the property that you're not going to foreclose on, you're not going to miss your payments because obviously you need a place to live. So because of that, they're comfortable putting, and and obviously there's a, you know, an incentive in the U S to own a house and the American dream. And they want people to achieve that American dream of owning a house. So they allow people to purchase primary residences. Once you're going to live in for 3% down or 5% down, if you want to buy a multifamily, like a two to four unit property, you can use the FHA loan at three and a half percent down. And, you know, we, we do those all the time. And it's, you know, so, you, so the whole, you know, notion that you need 20% down to buy a house is, is not true. Yeah. And, uh, I think, like you said, it's just, uh, a big difference, three and a half percent and 20%. I mean, just an example, $300,000 house, the difference would be 10 K 10 and a half K for three and a half percent versus having to save up $60,000. Um, that can take a few more years, uh, you know, be a, a huge barrier. So, I do, I do think that that's one way to just make it easier um, to get started right away. And then you just wait a year and kind of do it over again. So that's the idea. Perfect. Um, so again, this, this is the first time that we're going through real estate on the, for financial independence to my audience. I'd love if you can just give just some suggestions on how you can get started, any resources or you know, basically how you can get started in real estate to achieve financial independence for beginners. So house hacking is really the best way to get started. Uh, It's just your money goes a lot further because you're putting such a little bit down. You're able to, you know, live in the property, rent it out. You, You reduce or completely eliminate your living expense, which is likely your largest expense. That property is appreciating. It's providing you cash flow. You get some tax benefits for it. So really it just works in your favor all the time. It just provides tremendous amounts of wealth building. So, uh, you know, in order to get started, I would say, you know, I would, you know, I hate to like 
brag and like tout my own book, but like, you know, I wrote a book on the house hacking strategy and it's really just a step-by-step guide on how to, you know, how do you, how do you find the property? What do you do when you're in it? How do you analyze it? You know, it's your, it's your step-by-step guide on house hacking. And the idea was just to kind of break that barrier down and make house hacking and real estate investing a little bit more simple and easier for, for a young, a young man or woman to, to get into. And, uh, so I'd say that could be your first step, uh, just education, learning, and and just saving for that down payment. You still are going to need, you know, 10, 20 grand, depending on where you live. And once you've got that saved up and you've got the knowledge, then you can go ahead and actually start, you know, engaging an agent and a a lender and start looking at properties and, and making some offers. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll definitely link the book in the show notes below. I, I highly recommend it. I do. I am familiar with it and it's on my reading list as well. So I, I'm trying to get into real estate a little bit myself. Um, so we'll see where that takes me. I know that bigger pocket, bigger pockets is a big um, resource as well, where a lot of people kind of gravitate to, and there's a huge community for real estate. Um, are you a part of that? Um, talk to me a little bit if you are a part of that or just as a community member or some part of uh, the team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I actually used to work at bigger pockets. Um, I was the finance person there for about three years, I actually just quit January 31st of 2020. So like I'm just past my year anniversary of being a full-time, uh, free man, I guess. <laughs> and not to say, you know, not to put down bigger pockets. It was an amazing place to work and I would do that again in a heartbeat. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much part of that community. If you're going to get into real estate investing or house hacking, I highly, highly recommend it. I almost like, uh, what's like further than recommend? Like I demand that you get on bigger pockets <laughs> yeah. and, and start interacting with people, start networking with people, listen to their podcasts. It's one of the best podcasts out there. Read all their books. Like if you can read, if you read all their books, you will be very familiar and you will probably feel comfortable buying any sort of place. Um, and you know, my book was actually published by bigger pockets. Right. So, um, that is another, you know, just, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Nice. Pockets is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no. And then I'll of course link that in the show notes below as well. I mean, I've listened to bigger pockets. I've joined the community as well. I think that for the scope of this podcast and this episode, it's just an introduction to real estate. And I really just want to get the audience familiar with what house hacking is it hopefully inspire them to start thinking about that as uh, a route to financial independence, even if that's not the only way that they get there, but they can incorporate it and just light a fire under their journey to financial independence, get there a few years earlier. Um, but uh, bigger pockets for sure is going to be where you want to go to find out just uh, things that you look for in properties, like 1%, the 1% rule, for example, or uh, area class areas like A, B, and C. Um, so that's very important, I think. So hopefully you guys check that out. I did want to ask, you are a real estate agent. Do you think that somebody should look into becoming a real estate agent? Do you think that is necessary or how much it helps? I would say, I don't know if it's, it's not necessary, but it's helpful. Mm-hmm. So for when you're doing your first deal, I recommend get a professional that has been through it a few times to, to just take you through it. I recommend getting a, an investor-friendly real estate agent to help you guide you through that process. And after you do your first deal, you can then think about getting your license because if you're going to do a deal a year after that, it is probably worth having your license. You know, it it probably takes about a thousand dollars or so or a year to maintain your license, but 
you know, depending on your area, you know, you're making 2.5 to 3% of, of the purchase price in a commission. So if you're buying a $400,000 house, that might be a $12,000 commission for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that's worth your thousand dollar investment for the year, right? Even if you just do one deal, that's your own. Definitely. So I would say overall, it is worth it. I'm glad that I did it, and then you can always, you know, help friends out and all that kind of stuff. You can kind of turn it into a little bit of a side hustle if you'd like. Cool, cool, yeah. Um, I also thought about becoming a real estate agent. It's just I haven't found the time, but definitely on my list. Hopefully in the future. Um, I do want your opinion now. I mean, I think the elephant in the room with unfortunately everything that's going on in the world is real estate 2021 and beyond. What do you see? Is there anything to be worried about? Or is there any opportunities that you may see that's just unique to the times? Um, Should people wait it out? Or what what do you think? I know interest rates are super low. It's a it's a confusing time. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. Yeah, you know, I'd say there's no right or wrong answer. I would say if you buy cash flowing properties, it doesn't matter what the market does, because if it, if it does go down, you can still hold on to hold on to them in the downturn until until the upswing comes back. Because you know it always comes back. Uh, you know, in terms of my predictions, honestly, I don't know, and I don't really think too much about it, and I don't try to predict it because no one's prediction is right. Uh, 2016, 20, 2015, 2016, people were calling a collapse. 2017, 2018, collapse, collapse. 2019, 2020. It's like, <laughs> all right, man. Of course, you're going to be right eventually because you call the same thing every year, but. At this rate, I don't think anyone really knows. You know, it is crazy. Interest rates are super low, so prices are pretty high. Once the, you know, once COVID is in our, once COVID is behind us, uh, and and there's going to be massive amounts of inflation, I bet you, I bet you, you know, interest rates are going to go up. But I also think there are going to be lots of inflation here in the next five to seven years, and I think real estate's a really good place to hold your money in times of inflation. So, yeah, I've heard that as well, and. Um... I think I think you're 100% right. There's a difference. Well, it's a similar it's a similar concept to the stock market. Everybody claims that there's going to be a crash every single year and like you mentioned, there's going to be a person that's going to be right just, you know, because a dead clock is right twice a day. Um but you know, my I guess my um what I wanted to hammer home is that you mentioned cash flowing properties is different than banking on the fact that they're going to appreciate so would you consider that like really investing versus speculating? If you're wanting the price to just go up, you're kind of speculating. Do you think that's, and if you're yeah, cash flow positive, that's investing. If you are, I would say you're speculating if you buy a property and you're waiting for it to go up and that's your only strategy. Like, but if, if you are intentionally purchasing a property because you have, you think there are high odds that it's going to appreciate then I would say that's investing. If you have calculated risk there and you're taking into account that risk, and if it is going to be a negative cash flow, you have another asset that pays for it, or you can somehow pay for it yourself. Um, for house hacking, right? You don't like you can live in the property and lose money while you're living there because that's that's still fine mm-hmm. because you are reducing your rent expense, right? You're that's the idea there. When you move out of that property, you want to make sure it cash flows. You want to make sure that's positive. You really, if you're a beginner. You don't want to have negative cash flowing properties because that will, you know, that will hurt you in the long run. As you start to get, you know, more wealthy and you get more assets and you can cover the losses, it may make sense to pick up a property in LA, right? That maybe loses you five hundred dollars a month, but it's going to increase a hundred thousand dollars in value over the next two years, right? Like that might be worth it. 
but I would say that risk you probably don't want to take until you've got a little bit more experienced. Yeah. I like that. I like that strategy. Kind of dip your toes first, make sure that you got your first deal that's cash flow positive, And then you can kind of, you know, make some calculated risk once you get a little bit better. Um, I do want to kind of point out again, cause this is just a beginner entry episode into real estate. Um, so cash flow would just mean make sure that your expenses, such as the PMI, um, private mortgage insurance, uh, regular, I guess, homeowner's insurance, your mortgage, after all that's added up, your rent is more than that. Um, whether it's one tenant or two tenants or however, that's the definition of cash flow, right? Is, am I getting that right? Uh, you're like 50% there. Um, <laughs> okay. So one, so yes, that, that is like the very basic form. However, you also, you want to be, you know, if your monthly payment, which is going to include principal interest, tax insurance, and PMI is $2,000 a month, and you're making $2,100 a month in rent, like you're not cashing $100 a month, right? There are expenses that come with the house. You got to replace the roof, the hot water heater, the furnace, things break, right? You want to be, and also the house isn't always going to be rented. So there's vacancy. So you want to take into account all of those things and- then after, so typically I like to have, you know, in my market in Denver, and this is going to be different everywhere, but in Denver, I like to have a thousand dollars over my mortgage. That's kind of where I like to be at for rent over my mortgage payment. And that gives me plenty of buffer room for cash flow in my pocket, as well as, you know, un- unforeseen expenses that come up, you know, in cheaper markets, I also invest out of state as well. Uh, you know, that is closer to 400, $500 a month over the mortgage. And that's, those houses are going for 90 to hundred grand. So gotcha. give you an idea there. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for breaking that down. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I mean. It's just, if I would have done it and cash flow $200, I would have been like, Oh, it's good. I'm good. You know, and I'm not even considering that the roof might go or the AC might go. So thank you for, for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people got burned that way. And you yeah, know. yeah, exactly. So you got to cover your bases for sure. Um, so you you had three thousand dollars a month cash flow, is that right? Kind of like in your financial independence once you quote unquote reach that. Uh, yeah, getting that right. Okay. So did you calculate the four percent rule and and you did all that? Did you kind of hear about financial independence and you were actively striving for it, or did you kind of just realize, oh wait, I guess I'm financially independent now? Well, how did that work? No, I was very, I was very much in pursuit of financial independence from the beginning. So very intentional. Uh, I don't really use the 4% rule. Uh, I think, I guess I'm not super passionate for or against it. It's like, okay, it's just another metric that you can use to check the box if you hit financial independence or not. But at the end of the day, you're never going to be 100% financially independent. Um, what I used was just, hey, was my passive income greater than my expenses? And I thought, and, and it's kind of weird, right? Because in some months it is, in some months it's not. Like, you know, there's just random things that come up sometimes. And so it was hard to tell. So what I did was at my job, it was, you know, October, 2019, I put, I decided to put 100% of my paycheck into my 401k. So I was taking a paycheck, a home paycheck of $0 for the last three months of the year. And the idea was that, hey, like if I, I'm looking at my check-in balance now on October 1st. If I can achieve a higher, if, if this is, goes, goes up in the next three months, then I'm financially free. And if not, then I'm not. And I, <laughs> right. And I just max out my 401k, which is like not the worst punishment. Right. Uh, oh. So that was kind of how I tested it. Lo and behold, at the end of that three months, I was, you know, positive in my checking account. 
So I, you know, I quit my job like a month later at the end of January. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to mention the 4% rule. I know that it's definitely a rule of thumb, definitely not like something to live by. Um, but just the power of, for example, $3,000 a month of cash flow, that's similar to having a $900,000 portfolio where you withdraw 4%. A $900,000 portfolio can take years to achieve, you know, with 7% interest year over year. $3,000 cash flow, it just for me at least, it seems more achievable. It seems like, all right, if I can cash flow one house at five to a thousand, 500 to a thousand, I can just do this a few times and I'm there. Um, so that's, that's the power. And that's what I really want everybody to see is just that ability to, you know, have an equivalent of a 900, almost a million dollar portfolio in a matter of four years, like you did. Yeah. I will say that, you know, if you're trying to achieve financial independence, the fastest real estate is going to be one of the best ways, one of the fastest ways you'll get there. Um, you know, there is, yeah, sure. The 4% rule, whole thing, the, you know, invest in index funds and, and uh, you know, Jim Collins and, and kind of Mr. Money Mustache Pete, like the way they kind of talk about it. I mean, it works, right? And you can achieve financial independence in 10 to 15 years, no issue that way, right? I know Pete, he retired at, at 30. Uh, I'm not sure when Jim retired, but, you know, 30 is pretty damn good. But he, you know, but don't, not to mention, Pete was making a, a, an engineer's salary, Right. And he was like, you've seen his blog, like he was taking it pretty extreme. Mm-hmm. I assume you guys know him. You're, you're oh, yeah. And Mr. Money Mustache. Okay. And if you guys, and if anybody who's listening right now doesn't know Mr. Money Mustache, I'm going to link us uh, to his blog in the show notes. Please check him out because he's, he's amazing and he's pretty frugal, like you mentioned. And he, he really took it to yeah. the extreme. That's his MO, right? But he, and he, he retired in, you know, seven or eight years, which is great. Right. But that was like the extreme. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but like I did it in two or three years through real estate investing. And I also had $90,000 in debt at the same, like of that too. So it was like, just clearly the fastest possible way. And now, you know, I'm, I'm not reti- like retired, right? I, I enjoy helping others build wealth through real estate investing. And so, you know, we have a real estate agent team and we, and I, I do work, right? But I work because I like to, and I want to, not because I have to. Awesome. Yeah, that is the MO of financial independence. That's exactly why we're all doing it. Um, And I wanted to just get your opinion real quick. Uh, You're probably the youngest person that I'm going to have on the show to reach financial independence. I don't know if I'm really going to have anybody younger than that. So just give me your your take on how it feels to be, you were 26 at the time, more or less when you reached early retirement, quote unquote. How, How did that feel? I mean, your friends, I'm sure, were nowhere near that. Um, so your yeah, family, you, what did your family say? You don't compare. You, you get to a point where you don't talk about it amongst your friends and peers. Like, you know, you're cool when you're talking about it and it's like fun because you're talking about it, but you haven't actually done it yet. And then once you do it, you kind of just, it feels like you're just talking down to them. You know, you don't, you don't want to be like a jerk. Like my friends are my friends. We're going to grab a beer and shoot the shit together. And like, that's <laughs> what we're going to do. Like, yeah. we're not going to talk about money. Uh, unless you are my friend that's in real estate and then we'll, that's probably all we'll talk about. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of depends, you know, and you also start to drift away from your friends that aren't, whose goals aren't aligned with yours. And you start making new friends whose goals are aligned with yours and they end up pushing you further and further. And uh, that's, that's just what I found. But, you know, I, I would don't compare yourself to your friends throughout this whole thing because you're never going to be like your friends. 
um, you know, for the first couple of years, you're going to be grinding and you might be making 60, 80, hundred grand a year, but you're living with roommates in a crappy part of town and you're driving a crappy car, right? Because you're, you're trying to save. And then, you know, you'll, you'll have maybe a brief month or two where you kind of your wealth, where you're looking like the same as your friends. But for me, I went from like total poor man to now, you know, investing tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars into real estate and other investments that no other one other of my friends are doing. Right. So you just, you're never, you're never relatable. So you can't be comparing yourself to, to your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, set yourself goals and hold yourself accountable to those goals. And if you're going to look up, if you're going to, you know, if, if you're going to compare yourself to people, compare yourself to people that are ahead of you. Uh, that way you can at least push yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that that's something that just attracted me to the fire community is just like-minded individuals. Um, you know, you can kind of me- mention the frugal things that you're doing and they totally get it. Uh, you know, so they'll give you inspiration, motivation, even tips to improve. Um, so I agree with you. Just kind of surround yourself with the like-minded people. Um, that, that's definitely important. So what are you focusing on now, Craig? Um, just what's, what's in the horizon? What gets you excited now in the mornings to, to do? What's your passion? Yeah. So we're building this real estate team here. That's super fun. Um, you know, we are a team of real estate agents who, who also invest and we help investors, right? So we're just basically your, your, your coaching guide through your first, second, third investment. And that we're building out through Denver. We're hopefully expand here in the next, you know, this year, hopefully into maybe some other States. Um, and then, yeah, you know, building the rental portfolio as it comes to, uh, you know, trying to, you know, I'm writing a second book here about a deal that I was just a total disaster. So I think it's, <laughs> it'll be a fun read for people uh, to learn from my mistakes and also maybe get a laugh or two on how much shit I went through during <laughs> it. Um, yeah, that's and, the best way to learn, right? I mean, sometimes oh, yeah. the best way to learn is either from somebody else's mistakes or your own. 100%, man. <laughs> so it's, it's better it's better to learn through someone else's mistakes. <laughs> Um, and then real quick, uh, you're also pursuing fat fire, I believe, um, or, or it's something that you kind of desire in the future. Why fat fire and what is, what would be considered fat fire for you? Uh, I don't, you know, I get, uh, it's so funny. Like when I first started this whole journey, I was like, yeah, 3000 a month and I'm done. Then I was like, uh, we'll just do 5,000. That's a little easier. Okay. We'll do 10,000. All right. We'll do 20,000. Now I'm just like, okay, like I'm just going to stop when I want to stop. Um, you know, when, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I know both me and my girlfriend, we want a nice, fairly large house on a beach somewhere in Hawaii. Like we want that to be our primary residence. Like that's not cheap. Right. Um, and we want to have, you know, we don't care to have like a boat or a plane or anything like that, but we'd like to have the things that we want and not have to worry about money and still be able to spend time. So, you know, we're going to keep building until we want to, until, we no longer want the, the material objects that we'll, we'll get with our passive income and that's when we'll stop. So I hope that's a good answer, but, it, uh, you know, it doesn't really answer the exact question, but <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think a lot of times with these, uh, you know, quote unquote fat fire terms or lean fire, you know, you get caught up in like, Oh, is that 45%? I mean, 45,000 a year, or is that 50, you know, but I, I agree with what you mentioned and you're kind of, you're following your passion. You're excited. You, you love what you do. And, you know, you're not completely not focusing on money. However, money is almost the byproduct of what you're passionate about at this point. 
and it seems to grow just because you're making smart decisions. So um, that's, it's in a great position to be in. And you're right. Like if you want a house in Hawaii one day, why not? You only live once, right? So you can, you can do that. You've worked hard enough at this point. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you want it bad enough, you'll work to get it. Right. And if you don't, then you won't. And it's totally fine. Like if at some day we're like, you know what, we're not quite at the house in Hawaii part, but we are perfectly happy where we are and we don't want to work anymore. We'll just stop. Right. Like there's Mm no, I don't know. You don't, you don't need to have a plan. You just, it gives you the option to do basically whatever you want. Exactly. Right. Perfect. Perfect. So Craig, I I really appreciate you just dropping all this knowledge for our audience, my audience here. Um, Again, I am going to link everything to the show notes. I highly recommend you guys check out his book and check out a a bunch of his other resources. I want to give you the um, opportunity to let the audience know where they can find more of you and and basically uh, share whatever you have coming up, anything exciting. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm at the five guy. You can also find our team of real estate agents. It's called uh, thefiteam.com. And those are the best two ways that you can reach, reach me. Cool, cool. Well, all right, Craig, again, thank you so much. And until uh, next time, I hope to have you on the show again. All right, thanks, man. We'll see you.